G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-oriented, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at reedgoosens.com. And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. What's happening in the U.S. housing market specifically, right? There's, there's 125 million units of housing stock in this country. 45 million of those are rented residences, right? And 18 million are single family rentals. Another 8 million are duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, right? I, I live in that market. That's what bigger pockets yep. audience is buying. So there's a whole multifamily market. I'm not an expert on that. I don't know what's going on with that. But within the market that I'm focused in, what's happening is you're seeing a rapid expansion of the available inventory. Most new net new household formation in this country is rental households. You're not seeing growth in owner-occupied housing. So what's happening is single-family housing stock is shifting to be renter-occupied. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this 
this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Scott Trench. Scott is the CEO and president of BiggerPockets.com. Scott has dedicated his career to helping the ordinary American build wealth in part through real estate investing. Now, since joining BiggerPockets in 2014, Scott has authored a book, which is called Set for Life. And he's also the co-host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. He's an active real estate investor in the Denver market. He currently manages about $1.5 million in his own personal portfolio. And he also has his brokerage life in the state of Colorado. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight and knowledge about the world of investing here in the United States. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Scott. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Good. Thank you for having me, Reed. Mate, my pleasure. One thing I forgot to say is that when I met you a couple of weeks back, you're a big rugby fan. Tell me a little bit about that. An American being a rugby guy, that's sort of very unheard of, is particularly where I come from. Yeah, I'd say I'd say a rugby fan is almost too much. I'm, I'm a rugby player, right? So I, I uh, grew <laughs> right. up as an, when I was eight years old, my cousins played rugby and, uh, you know, I thought they were the coolest guys in the world and wanted to be just like them. Uh, They're much older. And so I joined a little touch rugby club in Maryland. We drove all over the East Coast to play and... Um, you know, it was like six to 12. That's how big the age range had to be in order to field teams, you know, so huge variation. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been playing uh, ever since. I played in college, played in men's club out here and, uh, you know, not too too good of an international fan or anything like that. I probably couldn't name too many professional players except for maybe the true international superstars. Um, but there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, but being an American, like, rugby's not in the consciousness of american psyche right it's just not even considered it's baseball it's basketball it's nfl like growing up with rugby it's pretty freaking awesome i, I think you're very rare <laughs> no, i must say I, I would agree but i do think it's becoming much much more popular here uh it's a good alternative to football you can still certainly get injured and get head injuries but not the same way you're going to get with american football uh right and, and that danger and, and the kind of the dangers with that sport and uh you know there's it's it's just you're not stopping all the time you have to be in better shape so it's also much more cultural. Yeah. Like I can, it's a bunch of guys that I'm going to be friends with for life. It's not a, you know. Yeah, I will. I will wholeheartedly say when I first moved to the United States in 2012, I joined the New York Rugby Club, and I was at the first training within two weeks, and I instantly had 50 mates. Mm-hmm. Moving to a new city, I had no idea who these people were, and now some of those guys that were at my wedding, I know my wife is friends with still a lot of them. They're having baby showers this weekend, so yep. it's crazy how the culture of rugby. It's right. unlike any other sport, particularly any other team sport. It has this real out on the field for 80 minutes and you're slogging out and let's go have a beer, you know? So, so yeah, but we talk too much about rugby. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of what you do. The first question I need to ask you is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a great question. And I, I actually don't have very vivid memories of that, at least from a really early age, it was probably through doing chores and working from, from my parents or doing things for the, the neighbors, pet sitting, um, you know, I'd go over there and feed cats, that kind of stuff. My first real job, however, I remember that that was in the heart of the recession, 
uh, in about, I think, 2008. And I was a, I was between my, my sophomore and junior year of high school. And I remember going out to every single, to 20 different retail shops and just dropping my resume at every single one until finally one called me back. It was Pier One Imports. So if you're familiar with Pier One Imports, they sell Mm -hmm. a very odd variety of items that I would never personally purchase. So I didn't got no use out of this corporate discount. And I unpacked boxes and unloaded the truck and uh, swept the floors and that kind of stuff. So that was my first real job. And I remember being thrilled and grateful that I could get one um, when a lot of my friends couldn't. <laughs> well, mate, it takes a it takes somewhere you know a certain type of someone to go out and just hand out resumes. I, I think it's it's a certain you understand the value of that dollar, right? And earning money to to do stuff, to hang out with friends. And I'm sure at a young age, that's all you ever wanted to do is, is have a bit of pocket change, and maybe mum and dad just. You know, go out and get a job, you know, something lazy right. and get yep. out there. So I, I also played sports all through high school. So uh, my, my parents said they gave me some gas money anytime I was in season with the, mm. the, the, sport, the, the sports that I was playing. But in the summers, there's no season. So that's where I had to go and, and uh, work full time if I wanted any money. Awesome. Well, now walk us through where you, how you got to today. You were the CEO of biggerpockets.com. If people are living under a rock and don't know what biggerpockets.com is, Google it, you'll find out. How did you get, to, what does the journey look like from playing rugby and working at Pier 1 Imports all the way through to being the CEO? Sure. So I studied finance and economics in college and I minored, I guess I studied fi- history and economics as my major. And then I minored in finance and accounting. So I had a, a reasonably applicable skill set and I got a full-time job at a Fortune 500 company. Uh, following college, and within three months, uh, decided that I wanted to pursue the the financial independence retire early movement. So I became a very a big fan of two websites c- communities in particular. One was the Mr. Money Mustache forums. If you haven't mm-hmm. heard of, of of this guy, he's yes, a kind of founder in a lot of ways of the financial independence movement, um, or at least perhaps a uh, uh, early major influencer in there. And um, Big hero of mine for uh, still today, but you know, particularly back in the, in those days. And then I also found bigger pockets. So my whole plan was great. I'm going to save my way to enough down payment to buy rental property. And I like the idea of both living frugally and then applying that to a leverage position in real estate. Uh, and I was particularly, I remember, influenced by the idea of house hacking. So in 2013, I started my career full time in August 2013. By July of 2014, a year later, I'd been able to save up about $20,000. And at that time, I did two things. I went under contract on my first house hack duplex, and I joined Bigger Pockets. And the story behind joining Bigger Pockets was I listened to the podcast and was a big follower. And our, you know, one of the things that the, the, the podcast at the time told us to do, which we still do, is go out and meet other investors in your local area and ask them questions. So I joined a mastermind group. And I had no business being there as a 23-year-old. Uh, I remember being like, these guys are all rock star entrepreneurs. They're super wealthy. I have like $6,000 to my name. They're letting me be here. I'm going to make the most of this. So I, I took them each, each out to lunch one by one. And uh, one of them happened to work in the same co-working space as the founder of Bigger Pockets. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my God, I got to take that guy out to lunch now too. And uh, I, Josh Dorkin, I think, you know, uh, he, he seems to remember it differently, but I, I seem to remember him blowing <laughs> me off a few times uh, and saying, go away, kid. And I remember following up a, a couple of times before he finally called me in and asked me, what do you do again? Finance? You know, do you want to do a director of operations role here? So 
here I am. I, I, I obviously took that job as the third employee um, and a three-person company, director of operations. You know, you can kind of extrapolate what that means in terms of what you're going to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But that uh, over the next five years, I gradually took on more and more operating components of the business, including most of our major revenue streams, customer support, um, finance, HR, all that kind of good stuff. Talk to me a little bit about that because it's such an interesting <clears> – <throat> for people out there who – Bigger Pockets is is really a media uh, is a technology company, right? It's not it's not a real estate company. It's, mm -hmm. It happens to use the widget of real estate as through an education piece. How does Bigger Pockets actually make money? You know, like is it through just advertising? Is it through paid subscription? Just for those layman people out there, and how do you create a business in and around being a technology company like that? Sure. So let me give you a two minute answer to that. Give you a little roundabout, but I'll, I'll definitely explain that. So the, the, the special thing about bigger pockets that gives us a real competitive advantage is our community. So we've got folks on there who have posted thousands or tens of thousands of times to our community. People have completed dozens or hundreds of deals or sometimes thousands of deals who genuinely care about talking about real estate and keeping our community a clean, safe, engaging place to have that going. So over the course, you know, We've got a guy who's posted 17,000 times to our forums, wow. right? Uh, wow. We've got another guy who posted 34,000 times to our forums. So these folks are generating discussion, and they know what they're talking about. They're good guys. They're charismatic. They're articulate. And they're answering questions. And so that often ranks at the top of Google, which brings more traffic to our site. And then those guys go on to join the community and join the discussion, some of them, which, expand, which kind of perpetuates this positive feedback loop, this flywheel of content bringing us um, uh, traffic and, and, and engagement and, and, and solving users' problems. And then we make money um, by, we, we have a pro membership, a subscription membership that gives you access to uh, deal analysis tools like calculators. We have landlord forms and leases. We've got um, networking, enhanced networking uh, features and solutions. And we've got ability to promote your business as part of that membership. Um, oh, and then of course we have our, our discounts that we've negotiated with third-party vendors. So you get exclusive discounts. Uh, the second way we make money is through our books. We're actually one of the largest independent book publishers in the United States of America. And um, our model there is we'll find these guys that know how to write and we'll ask them to write a book for us. And then we'll, we know that it's likely to be the best book ever written on that subject. You know, I'll use Jay Scott here as an example um, and, and blow up his ego a little more. But Jay, Jay is the guy who posted <laughs> 17,000 times to our forums. He completed 150 right. fix and flip projects during that time period. He cataloged in great detail what he was doing during much of that period. Right, he hosts a podcast for us. He's been a guest on our podcast. Maybe somebody comes along someday who's better equipped to write a book on flipping houses than Jay, but it might be a long shot. And so that's kind of why I think our publishing division has been able to be very successful, is because we're not just like saying, "Let's go write a book on this subject," and this guy go out and research it. No, it's it's a true expert who's lived it for a long time that's been able to do that. Uh, and then lastly, we make money through advertising. We connect our users with lenders, agents, business services that they need to conduct their business. That's that's awesome. I just wrote down the four things: publishing, community, forum, and technology. Not real estate is not mentioned once. <laughs> that's right. You know, we are not a real estate company. We own no real estate. We lease our office space. You know, I would never buy the real estate under the name of Bigger Pockets. Uh, it's not our business. Mm. And, and, and so, when when Bigger Pockets went out to get started, is that was that the goal to to provide this forum for other like minded people to start chatting with one another and sharing ideas? The, the, the goal is real estate investing education should be free, right? And the 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 mission at first is to combat the gurus who are selling their 
$5,000 coaching or seminar programs or whatever, because there are no secrets in this business. Uh, it's, it's only different tactics and, and opinions. And the best way to learn, we think, is by absorbing the, the position of multiple smart people who may all disagree with one another or are, are succeeding in exactly opposite strategies. And we think that's where real learning comes in place and that that should be largely free. The only thing that we do charge for in the educational front is the books, which cost us money to construct in a, lot of, in a large amount of time. So you're getting an organized resource for 20 bucks in that case, which you think is very different than a big, large scale educational package. Well, 100%. And, and uh, one of the biggest things I noticed when I first moved to the United States was this <clears throat> tapestry of incredible learning opportunities. When I first moved here in 2012, I went to RIA, Real Estate Investor Associations. Bigger Pockets was around. And stuff that was readily available at your fingertips was not knowing, like we didn't have anything of that in Australia. And I'd, stuff that I'd pick up books for, for 20 bucks, I would have to pay a guru $10,000 to tell me, that, to teach me that. Um, you know, I remember sitting in, in seminars about that sort of stuff. So the whole psyche here in the United States of sharing is caring and making sure there's transparency and education is free is huge. And the fact that anyone who's listening to this show or listens to any show that is, you have all this awesome information at your fingertips. Ignorance is not an excuse anymore, right? And you can go out and find the answers pretty quickly. Um, unlike where I was coming from in Australia, where there was one real estate networking event and it was big because it was the only one, right? Everyone wanted the content, but they, there just wasn't enough people out there to give it. So very, very interesting. And I think it's one of the one of the reasons the United States um, is the one of the most fertile places to invest in in the Western world is because of people like and, and programs and platforms like yourselves, like Bigger Pockets, because they're providing a dialogue where people can go and be successful and an abundant mindset type of oriented way, which I think is really freaking cool. Yeah. So so yeah. Absolutely. You know, one one mental model to to use to articulate this that I I've come up with recently. This so this is not how we intended things, but I think that the buy-in price for being a successful real estate investor, having a good risk-adjusted return profile um, in real estate investing is not a dollar amount, but a, t a time investment. And I think that that right. time investment is somewhere between 500 and 1,000 hours. I really do think that that's the case. And if you don't invest that time by listening to podcasts like this one, reading books, engaging in forums, meeting local investors, studying the market, meeting agents, um, I don't think you're going to get a good, a better risk-adjusted real uh, return than you can in something like a, pat, a totally passive alternative, and mm. that's why I think that was a major problem in the industry uh, uh, back before Bigger Pockets was around. Because in order to pay that price, you had to pay it with your time and a tremendous amount of dollars to get that information from from gurus, and you're still only getting it from one perspective, not from a variety right. of perspectives. Right. How, how does Bigger Pockets stay relevant in today's world where there's so many other online technologies that, that are out there? Uh, it, it's, it, the secret is user-generated content. I don't have to be brilliant and come up with new ways to succeed in real estate investing because our community is doing that, right? Like I just described Jay Scott. Jay, Jay I, I imagine, is a self-made multi-multi-millionaire, right? And he spends his days posting on the bigger pockets community forums, helping mm. other people succeed. He does get financial benefit from that downstream, but largely indirectly through things like downstream book deals or uh, connections that help him find good deals or partners to lend to and that kind of stuff. So there is a financial benefit from this, but you can't pay a guy like him enough money to go and post somewhere else online, at least not economically. So, so mm. the, the, how do we stay relevant? Well, when there's a new topic like the coronavirus, right? I don't have to come and do a bunch of research on the coronavirus, although I, I have looked into a lot of that. Our, our community 
starts a thread and discusses it on their own. Right. No, no, I think, and I think that's the power of social media, right? Mm-hmm. You are the social media for, you're the Facebook for real estate investing, which I think is super, super important. But also making sure that the underlying topic is education first, right? Presenting free education uh, for everyone. And, and no one is better or worse than someone else because of, you know, they can't afford to get education. So I think that's, that's at the, the mission and the core of what the business is. That's very, very important. Um, let's pivot a little bit into, we spoke about in the green room before we press record here, sustainable, reasonable returns in 2020. What what are you seeing after being involved in Bigger Pockets for so long? Obviously, you, you're, I, I was involved in Bigger Pockets early on in my career. I'm, I'm not as active as I probably should be, but I've also, you know, I've always only graduated, but I've moved on to, to, to bigger things. I don't need the community as much as I used to. What are you seeing in the community these days from a return perspective point of view? Because so many people have made a ton of money since the recession. They've doubled, tripled their money in a very short period of time. And they think that's the norm these days. And thus thinking, if you don't see that in a deal, then it must be a bad deal. How are you seeing the, 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 the chat, the talk changing and around that as we move into 2020 and potentially a recession from this coronavirus? Yeah. So, well, a lot of things there. Let's talk, let's talk, about, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the number one thing here. How do you sustain the returns, right? So the, 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 I think a big problem that a lot of investors are going to run into is you know, a lot of us have been buying property for the last five, 10 years. And it's been a booming market. It's been a great time to be an investor. So we've all realized a tremendous amount of appreciation, or, or most of us have, right? And, and the metric that I think that real estate investors should be hyper-focused on is this concept of return on equity, right? The return on your existing investment within your portfolio. So you, you know, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, your return on equity drops dramatically when your properties appreciate. Right or, or or because if they're pushing at a steady rate, it drops dramatically if you just go through a period of big growth like we just went through. Right, because if I'm expecting two, three, four percent appreciation going forward, and I've been experiencing six, seven, eight percent annual appreciation <coughs> recently, I've probably got a big pile of that equity. I'm undercapitalized, and so while that's great, that means I'm getting great cash flow right now, and I have a lot of equity. It's a problem because my future returns are going to be relatively weak. And I think mm. that this is a good problem, but still a real problem for investors to solve. And so you have three choices if you want to enhance your return on equity in 2020, right? You have to, at any point, really, you've got to refinance your property and pull cash out and then reinvest that in an alternative asset. You've got to sell your property, um, I guess. I guess those are your actually your only two options. Your third option is to leave it there and get a lousy return on equity, right? And so the problem that we're all facing is like, how do I redeploy that equity into a smart investment, right? And you know, I think that for me in Denver, I look around and there are a, there there's not much cash flow to be had, and cash flow isn't the be all end all for this, but it is our insurance, my insurance policy in terms of being able to operate through a recessionary environment. To answer that question, so if I'm not able to get satisfactory cash flow in Denver, how do I go about looking at those other markets? And I think that I think that that's that's really the big question in today's today's environment. So the answer is understand that you're deleveraging right now, and that you have to do that buy sell hold analysis. And if you're not doing that, you're going to be potentially getting worse returns than you could get in a totally passive, easy alternative like stocks. Well, I want to also jump in and, and say that, you know, 
the way in which investors have made money, and particularly from an international perspective point of view, and I think that's a little bit of my superpower. I come from a country where if you double your money in 10 years, you're doing pretty freaking well. That's what I was taught, right? Mm-hmm. And cash flow isn't a thing in Australia. It's just not. We're an appreciating market all over. We're Denver and LA and San Francisco all over the map. Um, and so when you don't, historically, real estate is a long-term play. And a lot of people have made a lot of money and have come into the market since the last recession. They don't know what long, like the, the word long-term, everyone says long-term wealth and long-term this and long-term. Long-term means more than 10 years, right? And so they expect, they want like, I would need 6% out of the gate. Or I need 7% out of the gate. Show me a deal where that's happening today in a market that has true appreciation back to what you're saying before over long-term. And I think that is dried up and it's, but America's starting to shift like other international Western countries where we don't have, you can get cash flow eventually in Australia, but it takes a long time to get to that point. There's negative bit gearing, there's more appreciation. Um, and people have got to change their mindset that if it doesn't cash flow immediately, it's not necessarily a bad deal. It just means you need to get it to that point over a period of maybe it's two, three, four, five years and have the long term of seven to 10 year horizon because I work for many big developers who've only done deals in LA on the, and on the West Coast, and they've made a ton of money. If they, the number one thing they told me is, time's on your side. If you have time on your side, you're fine, mm-hmm. and you're gonna you're gonna just be just be fine. It just these people get so there's so many people out there who are like, oh my gosh, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, and it's not immediate, and they think something's wrong, mm-hmm. and that's where you got to take the take a step back, take a breath, and say where we are in the market, how we compare to other international markets right, from a, from a growth perspective and GDP growth. And how does that affect my returns on my investments that are here? And so you've got to look at all those things and not just have the blinkers on at the one deal and take a little bit more of a step back. Absolutely. Comments, questions, thoughts? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I agree completely with that. And, you know, here, here's, here's what's great about the U.S. And I'm biased, right? But <laughs> I think that the U.S. has demographic patterns or demographic situations that give us a huge advantage over other countries in the world, right? China, China's got a you know, China about well, the the you know Eastern Asian company or countries like China and Japan. I think have a very different demographic pattern where they've got a lot of older folks and a lot a lot fewer younger folks that are ready to kind of help the economic burden over the next few decades. We've got relatively little political mess i mean you can you can you can argue with that but but our our economy <laughs> supports the free market and and right. and a lot of capitalistic concepts here and our culture really admires the super successful and the super wealthy which i think enables people to strive for those extra economic gains and i think that we've got a lot of advantages that make this a really great place to invest and relatively recession proof, not not recession proof, but relatively resilient to recessions compared to maybe some of the other big blocks of countries out there like the EU. Um, I don't know much about Australia. I hear good things, but you know, like China, like uh, Japan, um, South Central. Yeah. And I I can definitely opine on that. And that's the the difference is, you know, is, is, is one population. The United States for a Western country has, I think the biggest population Mm -hmm. in, in, in the Western hemisphere. You've also got the biggest GDP. Like when I look at California, it has a bigger GDP than Australia. Texas has a bigger GDP than Australia. You know, your population and the fact that you can have it North, South, East, West, the entire continent where Australia, it's the same size as mainland America, but excluding Alaska, but we can only inhabit 18% of our land. So there's a very high demand, low supply issue mm-hmm. because we're all constrained to our coasts. When you can inhabit the entire box, plus the population, plus the, the, the force, 
the different lending arms, like we don't even have a Freddie or Fannie Mae, uh, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae in Australia. We don't have government-backed bonds that can get commercial real estate. Multifamily is not even a thing in Australia. So all these things combined with your GDP, combined with the growth, combined with the the, 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 the culture is the why it may, I think personally is the United States is one of the most fertile places to invest. Um, however, you're shifting away from what people used to know. And that's what scares people. And that's what people don't understand. When they've got to look at other countries, other Western countries like Australia, like Europe, like England, uh, like Canada, and understand that a slow and steady recovery of an economy is okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Because if you get too, go, go too quickly... The only way to come down is quickly. So it's, it's slow and steady wins the race. You have more of a pre- markets transitioning into appreciation markets like Denver, like Austin, which historically maybe have been more cyclical. So I, I think that that's scaring people a little bit. And how do you pl- how do you go do deals moving forward is to understand those metrics, but also change your investor return profile and horizon mm-hmm. to know that it's for the long game. It's not. It's not a. It's not a get get rich quick scheme. So well, let's talk about that long game stuff a little bit here. What's happening in the U.S. housing market specifically? Right there's there's 125 million units of housing stock in this country. 45 million of those are rented residences, right? And 18 million are single family rentals. Another 8 million are duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, right? I I live in that market. That's what bigger pockets yep. audience is buying. So there's a whole multifamily market. I'm not an expert on that. I don't know what's going on with that. But within the market that I'm focused in, what's happening is you're seeing a rapid expansion of the available inventory. Most new net new household formation in this country is rental households. You're not seeing growth in owner-occupied housing. So what's happening is single-family housing stock is shifting to be renter-occupied, right? And when you think about what you just said, hey, we've got these financing arms, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, right? These guys are giving 30-year fixed-rate mortgages to homeowners and small mom-and-pop investors like myself. So they're subsidi- they, we've subsidized as a country homeownership rates. I believe our homeownership rates are far in excess of other developed countries around the world because of that. And so I think you're going to see a continuing pattern downstream of this net new renter household formation where most new households are going to be rentals because we've artificially inflated that home ownership rate in this country, which that's go ahead. So go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say that I think, I think that that bodes fairly well for the investor in these, in these small rental properties, because you're going to see that increasing demand for those properties from the net new households over time, which I think has bodes well for rents and values on a lot of these investment properties. That's an interesting statistic. I'd love to actually look into that. I'm going to write myself a note to look at the comparison of home ownership because what's historically in the United States about 65% uh, own homes. Is that right? Well, I know that that, uh, there's 73 million owner occupied primary residences to 45 million rented residences. So that, yeah, that would be right around the range you just said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like sixty to seventy percent. Yeah, and and so you're saying over time that's going to continue to dwindle, right? As 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 people expand and all that sort of stuff. I believe right? so. I think that you know the natural without government interference, I think the the rate would be much lower. And I think that what you're seeing in this country is folks like me, small landlords, are using the rule with these Fannie Mae government insured mortgages is that you can get up to ten of them. On rental properties. So you're seeing this market of single family rentals, duplexes, triplexes, and quadplexes. It's dominated by folks that have just a few properties. There's almost no institutional involvement in that space in the United States. Just less than one to two percent of that housing stock is owned by institutional investors. So I think you're gonna see that con- that trend continue um, to to accelerate with with the you know, maybe resources like bigger pockets in this podcast coming up where more people are interested in it and uh, are taking advantage of that. 
what do you see moving forward in what the next 10 years you know um i i know the corona we talked about we briefly touched on the coronavirus before but are you do you think a recession is coming soon and if so how and when and why um, I, I think that if the coronavirus comes in and wipes out a major portion of the population of this country, that uh, we got bigger fish to fry, but that it's not going to be a good time for real estate investors. So I think in the if you take it to, to a extreme and panic, then of course the coronavirus is going to have a major impact, right? But in most situations where the, the effect is more reasonable or flu-like, right? We still have such a, a relative shortage of supply to demand in this country that you know, you're not going to open up that many, that much new housing stock, I think, from, from this. In order to combat this over the long, like, is there going to be a recession? I have no idea, right? Mm. But the things that I think are going to impact the market over the long term um, are going to be the, the, su the supply piece. We're, we have a construction labor shortage in this country. We do not have enough millennials in particular, and then uh, now the next generation, maybe Z or whatever, or X, I don't know. I don't know what what generations <laughs> after millennials, right? But they're they're all going to college, and they're all getting arts degrees. You know, <laughs> it's too harsh, but they're not going into the construction trades, right? So your supply is very expensive right now for of labor for for construction. That's going to shift as wages continue to rise. I think, you know, we've also got a lot of uh, materials tariffs. Right, which are increasing construction costs, and then water is going to be a big problem in, in certain parts yes. of the country, particularly like here in Denver. So I think you're going to have constraints on supply uh, over the next ten years, which are to the advantage of those in, that own and hold properties. Right, those are all reasons why I invest, and of course, I'm the CEO of Bigger Pockets. So, uh, you know, you, you better be investing. Yeah, you better you can take, <laughs> you can take the, take all that with a grain of salt. But that's what I believe. That's what I think is going to happen. Right. Uh, in the terms of the high-level macro forces, if there's a recession, of course that that constrains rent growth and price growth. If interest rates rise, of course that constrains equity growth in your property. But um, the high-level supply and demand functions, I think that they're all favoring the the the, the long-term investor. Yep, I completely agree, and I love I love you talk about the supply demand, and you spoke about water. I hugely think water is not spoken about enough in terms of valuing water. I've always thought water is should be treated like a commodity, and it's treated too cheaply, and we just come and open up the taps, and and I think that's going to be a massive impact on where we build and how we build, mm -hmm. and the access to water in the future. Um, uh, but also, you know, you talk about tariffs. You talk about the fact that millennials are coming into now new home ownership. Um, you also, and, and just their formation of high-income rental households. Right, that's what millennials right. are doing. That's kind of interesting spin on this. And also adding to the, the vocational training, you spoke about people going and get arts degrees. A uh, shift back to I know at least in Australia and very much in Germany, it's 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 not frowned upon to be go and get a trade as that's your career, right? That's that's what you do when you go to trade school. Um, and I think it's going to be a little bit more shift toward back towards that because it you need that 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 blue collar middle class to be strong in order for the economy to be strong. And so as as the, the sort of the, the divide, the wealth gap keeps growing. I think that doesn't help anyone. Um, but if we, as long as people are, uh, you know, are, are making sure they're getting educated, we're, we're making we're sure we're providing right uh, payroll and employment. Um, and we've got all those ticking those boxes. Re real estate is going to continue to be a, a very good and safe investment. Um, mate, what has 2020 got in store for you personally as you grow uh, as the CEO of Bigger Pockets? Yeah, so I, I want to address my return on equity problem. So I'm going to refinance or sell some of my properties that have appreciated pretty well and redeploy that into either syndication investments or other investments here in Denver. Um, with Bigger Pockets, we're going to try to continue 
growing. We're going to, we're going to drive, um, uh, growth from X to Y. Uh, we'll go from 71 million to 91 million total touch points on an annual basis from our podcast, video, mobile app and, and uh, website. Um, we're going to, That's awesome. yeah, we're going to be expanding the value with our pro membership. We're going to come up with a new brand called BP Insights, which will allow us to get uh, merge a lot of a couple of large national data sets, help people make sure that they're managing their properties to market rent, uh, help ideally help people understand what the value of certain rehabs will, how that will impact their ARV, um, those types of things, and produce more calculators and tools. Um, with that as an output. So we'll get the first versions of those rolling and begin iterating on those throughout the rest of this year. And um, there's a whole bunch more, but that's, I think, the, the bird's eye view, maybe. Still playing rugby? You know, I, um, I, I'm, I'm still with the team. I'm going to attend a couple of practices. Um, I'm trying to work as a, 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 a backup at this point because I don't know if I can play <laughs> a bunch of games here and then still appear on podcasts like this with a pretty face. So. Right, <laughs> and 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 all your limbs intact, right? That's right. Like, yes, uh, ACLs and uh, broke collarbones and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, mate, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit or the number one daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Sure. So I have a daily log that I, I, I print out every day. It's just a piece of a Word document I've created, and it's got my top three goals. I, I have 10 goals in any, at any given time around categories like fitness, business, finance, spirituality, mental, relationship, family. And so I allot three of them as my top ones for the next quarter. Um, and then I make sure that I make progress against those in some small way every single day and write it down. And then I also go back and, and review it to make progress on the, the more minor goals. And I've completed those not every day, but most days for most of the past six years. And that's, I think, my biggest almost daily habit that I think has really been helpful for me. That's awesome. I think, and I think it's great to show that you're across a lot of different aspects of your life, not just the business, because it's so important to have health and fitness and love and community and family all supporting the business side of it. Because if you don't have any of those stuff, the business don't work. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. Mate, what, who's the most influential person in your career to date? You know, the most influential person is probably the founder of Bigger Pockets, Josh Dorkin. Um, you know, just an incredible mentor. Uh, I had the, the, privilege of being able to work side by side with him for many years and uh, what an opportunity he gave to me to be able to, to lead bigger pockets. So I'm just trying to make the most of it and um, support his vision and um, hopefully provide a great investment return for him. So, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, number three, what is the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be software or it could be hardware, like a phone or a journal or something like that. Most influential, and is this, would you like me to answer this for bigger pockets? No, just in your daily life, what is the most influential tool that you use day in, day out that helps you to keep on track for the business? Uh, well, the, 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 aside from the daily log, right, it's, it's the, the harmoniousness of my MacBook Pro, my iPad, and my iPhone, right? They all work together pretty seamlessly. And so I'm able to transition between any one of those items at any point. You know, I'll use the iPad at a coffee shop. I'll use the computer at my desk. I'll use my phone on the fly, that kind of stuff. I mean, I just can't get, get by without it. And I've invested very heavily. I have the newest versions, um, basically, of all three of those. And awesome. can't, you know, I find that having the most powerful, up-to-date 
Apple equipment is very valuable for me. Right. No, I think it's it's super important to have that technology piece supporting everything you do day in, day out, yeah. because it's, it's what makes you tick, right? It makes what make the business go and being accessible. A- absolutely. Awesome. And, I'll, and I'll just add in, it's not really a luxury because my dollar per hour spend on these items is a lot lower, I think, than a lot of other items in my life because I'm mm. on them all day working with them. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and, and and so hence upgrading them and having them working at their most optimal is super important. I, I cannot right? stand when technology fails and pulls oh. it down. It's like, why am what am I doing here, <laughs> mate? In one sentence, what has been the biggest failure that you've you've, you've had in your life or in your career, and what did you learn from that failure? Biggest failure, um, you know, I, I'd say, I'd say one of my, you know, and, and I, I've had the privilege of having a lot of opportunity in my career. So I'd, I'd probably go back to college and say, I just really didn't put in enough into college. I could have done a lot more extracurriculars. I could have studied some, some more stuff that was more applicable to what I was trying to do. I could have started a business. I could, I, it was just a big opportunity uh, cost of not trying to do more for four years in undergrad, mm. I think. Mm. Love it. Like pushing yourself, taking that next, yeah. that next level in your career. I think that's that's pretty important. Well, I've made plenty Mate, of mistakes in my career. Sorry, well, I've made plenty of mistakes in my career. I, I don't really look back and regret any of the choices because almost everything since I joined Bigger Pockets, in particular, has been a hustle play, and I'm in me trying my best and think making the best decision I thought I could with the information I had at the time. I didn't do that in college. I didn't do that beforehand mm. in my life to a large extent that's the problem well but that's but that's good hindsight right 2020 hindsight that's what that's why that's why we have it here so mate last question where do, where can people reach you to continue the conversation i'm pretty sure i know where they can reach you but where do they go yeah biggerpockets.com and uh you can just search my name in the search bar or reach out uh, i'm pretty responsive on the forums and those types of things you can tag me in a forum post or send me a pm or whatever Awesome stuff, man. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Uh, I really want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. And I think the sustainable uh, investment model moving forward is really, really important. And I like your uh, thesis on the different aspects of what's going to help the industry continue to can grow as a good, solid investment vehicle. And that is looking at the um, the, the housing the hope for what is it the the primary residence statistic and how that compares to other markets in the world and is that going to dwindle and your thesis is yes it will and that's going to be great for um, for real estate investors and because we're going to get more of a renting type of mindset and I completely one hundred percent agree with that um, I also love how you've created this or you've been a part of growing something online that is for the truth and is for transparency and is for free learning. And it's got everything to do with real estate, but it has nothing to do with real estate at the same time. It's a technology company and you're using it to reach millions and millions of people, which is freaking awesome. And it's awesome to see you guys grow at such an incredible rate. And then now you're the staple of everyone's conversation when they speak about real estate. It's bigger pockets, bigger pockets, bigger pockets. So, um, mate, did I leave anything out? No, I, I really enjoy talking about this stuff. And um, yeah, there's, you know, we could go on all day about the return on equity stuff. Uh, but, <laughs> we could. But uh, yeah, I think it was, I think it was fun. Awesome, man. Well, look, enjoy the rest of your week. We will catch up very, very soon and have a great weekend. You as well. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Scott. Please do head over to biggerpockets.com. If you're living under a rock and you don't know what biggerpockets.com is, get over there, check it out. It is freaking awesome. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack. Mm-hmm.